All right, let's get started. Uh, this is Colin Shots. My name is Seth Partnow from The Athletic and other places. I am joined today by my friend Sean Hyken of uh, Bleach Report and uh, other places. Sean, how you doing? I'm doing all right, man. How about you? Doing okay. Uh, you know, get, get getting through the day, as it were. Um, I guess just let's get right into it. Brought you on because um, the, the Blazers have, have kind of been, after being sort of a... Um, I don't know, a pit of despair, a morass, a, um, a tire fire. What, how, how, how would you like to describe them for the first half of the season? They've been, um, kind of since the turn of the year, almost maybe a little bit longer, they've been frisky. So, you know, what, I don't know where to start in terms of unpacking what the season has had and, and where they are now, but you know, let's just start there. It's, a lot of things this season, I mean, you even going back to this past June, so like nine months ago, it's a lot of things where you say what the thing is, and then you say, and then that was a whole thing. So, like, they did the coaching hire, and that was a whole thing with the search and the investigation and all that. And then there was the whole summer of Dame, you know, maybe, maybe sort of looking around and that being a thing that people talk about, and that was a whole thing. And then, you know, a month, like three weeks into the season, they started the Neil Olshay investigation, and that was a whole thing. And then Dame started, you know, getting had this ab thing started bothering him. And that was a whole thing. And he ended up having surgery. And then they ended up firing Neil. And then they did what they did at the trade deadline. And now we're sort of here. And look, this team is not, they're not good. They're not trying to be good this year. I mean, yeah, you, saw, you saw what happened last week. They, they had that four-game winning streak right, going into the All-Star break. And they were games that they probably should have lost. They, I mean, I know the Lakers are terrible right now, but the Lakers were playing LeBron and Anthony Davis. So, like, they should have they should have lost that game. They should have lost the game in Memphis. They won four games in a row. They beat uh, – not Minnesota. They beat somebody else. I forget. They, beat the Bucks. And, they beat the Bucs the Bucs, over that. Well, span. right, but Giannis, Giannis didn't play in that game, so that's a little bit of a – Sure. But still, I mean, you're, but, I mean, it's basically Anthony Simons outdueling – uh, you know, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday is, is still... yeah, exactly. So they win those four games in a row, and then coming out of the All Star break, we find out that Yusuf Nurkic, who by the way is up uh, is up for free agency this summer, is going to be shut down for at least four weeks with uh, plantar fasciitis, and apparently he had been playing through uh, the entire season, and then just. You know, they win the four games in a row after they trade everyone at the deadline. They're just like, no, we should probably just address this now. We can't win too many more of these games, I think, is sort of what happened there. It's the, uh, the, the, the tank commander is, uh, is, is, uh, is, has reported for duty, if you will. If you will. And even this last, like, the last couple of games, Justice Winslow, who's one of the guys that's been, he came over in that Clippers trade that was pretty widely uh, criticized when they made it, the one where they sent out Robert Covington and Norm Powell and basically didn't get a whole lot back. But uh, Justice Winslow had been pretty good for them, you know, especially in the defensive end in the handful of games that he's played. And then starting with the Denver game the other night, they uh, held him out with Achilles soreness. And so like, like Justice Winslow is already like to the point where like they have to hold him out with, you know, some, you know, sore Achilles something or other in a lost season just to, you know, to, to to be down more starters in order to accomplish what they need to accomplish. That's kind of where we're at right now. So let's, you know, I, I think since you, you kind of mentioned a couple, a bunch of things, I kind of want to skip past the coaching hire because that's, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't know what really can be said about that. And let, I mean, and just getting into the, the sort of the leadership situation. I mean, obviously Neil Shea had been there forever and he is no longer there. And it seems like, Joe Cronin has a has a decent track on on keeping the job, but kind of what has has that sort of all played out in in, in the town? Well, it's been very interesting to kind of see how, and I was I was honestly surprised because because back in like a couple weeks after everything went down with Neil Olshay getting fired. I was in Vegas at the G League showcase, and one of the things that people with other teams were saying was they didn't know what the Blazers were going to be able to do. They like they they were kind of hesitant to get into trade talks with them because they didn't know whether an interim GM was really going to be able to make the kind of you know big trades that 
maybe if somebody had that position permanently, they'd be able to make. Obviously, we saw at the deadline, ownership pretty much gave Joe Cronin full authorization to basically tear down the whole roster. You know, he traded CJ McCollum, he traded Robert Covington, he traded uh, Norm Powell, and basically got back picks and young players. And they basically gave them permission to just do this whole teardown, which is kind of crazy for an interim GM. And I actually asked uh, when they did their post-trade deadline press conference, they I, they had not only Joe Cronin there, but also Dwayne Hankins, who's the new, but by the way, that's another thing that happened this season was uh, Chris McGowan, who's been the uh, CEO of Vulcan Sports, which is a company that owns the Blazers and the Seahawks. He resigned back in December, like during the Neil Olshay investigation to take a job with uh, the company that owns the Detroit Tigers and Red Wings. So that's another thing. So they have a new guy, Dwayne Hankins, who's been with the organization for a while as the new president of business operations. And he was at the post-trade deadline press conference. And by the way, that's kind of a weird thing to have the business side guy also there. I asked him what the status is of the GM search. And because when they initially announced that back in December that Neil Olshay was going to be fired and that Joe Cronin would be the interim uh, GM. They said in the press release that they were going to conduct a search for a permanent general manager. Joe has made clear that he wants the job. He thinks he's ready for the job. And what Dwayne Hankins said was that there is still a search ongoing and that Joe is very much a part of it, but they are going to be looking at other candidates as well. And for his part, Joe Cronin has said he just did an interview with uh, Jason Quick at the Athletic a few days ago, where he said, "You know, I I understand why they're doing that. This is an important hire." So, if I had to guess, I think if if you made me pick like Joe Cronin or the field as far as who's going to get the uh, job permanently, I would guess at this point that probably Joe Cronin ends up keeping the job. But I don't think that's really going to be decided until after the regular season because they weren't going to do that. They weren't going to be able to do that during the season because, uh, you know, I mean, you've worked in a front office, so you know this, but like if you're trying to interview somebody from uh, another organization, you're not going to like get permission and be able to hire them away, like right before the trade deadline or during the kind of that window of time when they made the change at general manager that they did. So if I had to guess, I think they'll probably, once the regular season ends, because by then, like, the NCAA tournament and, like, all the college stuff will be over, so guys won't be on the road scouting still. So I think at that point, they'll start, whoever they're going to interview, they'll start asking permission to interview different guys. And I think, ideally, they'd like to have somebody in place, whether it's removing the interim tag on Joe Cronin or bringing someone in from the outside. I would think by the by mid-May for the draft combine so that whoever it is can just, you know, get a jump on, you know, getting prepared for the draft and all that sort of stuff. So that's what I would guess the timeline is. I think Joe Cronin probably has the edge as far as being, you know, getting the job permanently. But I think, I mean, there will be other names in the mix. I was, as you're talking about that, I was the last kind of sort of been hired in season and you know okay there's the weirdness with whatever's going on with Danny Ainge in Utah but a be a traditional like whatever title we're going with the traditional GM role or that they're calling them GM or Pobo or vice CEO or whatever the the new whatever the the next level of title inflation is going to be I like Sean Mark got that like a promotion to that role in season. That was that was wow. am, I, am I misremembering? Well that was I do remember they basically fired they because they, they fired Billy King like during like right after the trade deadline that year, right? Yeah. No, I think I think that's right. I think that was the like that was the I don't know. That was that was the year I can't, after. I can't remember whether I can't remember whether they fired him and then had an interim or whether Sean Marks got because Sean Marks was still working for the Spurs before he took the Nets job. I don't think he was already with the organization then. Um, it could. I will that... say, and this is this is uh, just one interesting. I don't. I don't have like real like. We, I don't think they've formally like started the search yet, but one name that I just keep hearing come up as far as if they were to bring in somebody from the outside is Mark Eversley, 
who is currently number two. He's he's the general manager for the Bulls, but he's uh, number two in that organization behind Arturis Karnaschova. So this would be a promotion for him. He, as we as we all well know, he has uh, you know he you know he's been credited with playing a big role in getting Demar Derozan to sign with the Bulls. And Demar Derozan and Damian Lillard have an, have the same agent, and they're very good friends. And so there's a connection there, and that's somebody. And I think the Bulls would let him leave just because it's a promotion for him, because he would be running his own team. He wouldn't be a number two. So that's the one name that you know. In talking to people about like who might be in the mix, I've heard his name come up a lot. But that's as far as like who they're interviewing. Like I think a lot of that stuff hasn't been settled. That's just one name that I've heard come up a bunch. That's interesting. You know, for, from people I've talked to, it does seem like to the extent that like sort of momentum in this kind of situation is real, it does seem like the momentum is is sort of for him keeping it. I mean, it's probably the kind of thing where um, the old guy had one style and people might like the new style better. And um, if you will, if you will. And, and you know, the I think the the moves he've made, he's made are have been. Uh, minimum defensible. I mean, I, I think this is a good way to segue into the moves they made. Uh, you, you talked about the. Um, it's funny. I was I was uh, talking with uh, with with an exec from another team. Uh, I don't know. Shortly after the trade deadline, I guess, and and they they were wondering kind of um, you know whether the the McCollum trade made me think better or worse of of the Covington and Powell trade. I I I didn't like it when that trade when it came down. And then after the McCollum trade, it's like, okay, I get this now. I kind of, you know, there's there, there's sort of a, a a synergy between those moves in terms of, you know, you're, you're you're clearing space, you're getting assets, you're clearing the space for Anthony Simons to to really you know step forward in a focal role. And now if 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 Dame comes back next year and is committed to staying with the team, and you're going in with some some draft capital and to either use or package to to bring players into your your cap space and it all kind of made sense as a way to almost like flip the roster on the fly this coming off season um but there's other people who are like well if you're going to do that why like why are you why are you trading you know norm powell for 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 pennies on the dollar basically was was sort of the what <laughs> was the flip side i and i i, I guess i went with the, the sort of the positive view that they did make sense together but um, how did, like, you know, how did you take those and, and sort of, was it a package deal? They kind of knew they had the McCollum deal in hand and that's what let them do this other deal that maybe on its own didn't totally make sense. Well, the thing that I tell, the thing that I tell fans all the time is, you know, cause I, you know, people on Twitter are always talking like, cause as soon as the Clippers deal went down, people were talking uh, on like Blazers Twitter and a lot of people that I follow are just this is a disaster. And I'm, 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 I was at the time, I was like, well, look, there's still a week before the deadline. You can't, you know, when, when it's clear that a team is going to make multiple moves, you have to wait and see what everything looks like in total before, and not judge every move individually. The thing that I think is going to make the Clippers trade make more, I mean, did they get equal value in terms of like talent and picks and stuff in return for Norm Powell? No, but I don't believe that Joe Cronin just took the first offer somebody made. He he went out and he surveyed the market. And if there was a better deal out there or one that he thought made more sense, he would have taken it. Like, and the, but the thing that is going to, I think, make this deal make more sense is, you know, if he's able to do something with it, is the Eric Bledsoe contract that came back with it, which uh, next year he's making $18 million, but he's only, it's only like three and a half or four million or something like that is guaranteed. And I know that they shopped that that around to flip it at the deadline after they made that trade and they didn't see anything that they liked. But uh, I've been told that that contract is something that they're going to try to use maybe before the draft because right now, and you know, for example, one of the names that they were really, you know, strongly tied to, there was a lot of different reports out there and I kind of heard the same thing also they really wanted Jeremy Grant. They tried really hard to get that to happen and get something done with Detroit there. But where it kind of was held up was Detroit wanted two first round picks and Portland, I think rightly didn't want to do that. But what I've also heard is that poor is that Detroit 
might be more open to doing it for just one pick once we know where all the picks are. So they've got not just their own pick, which right now they're in 10th place in the play and they're actively trying to fall out of that. But then also the pick they got from New Orleans in the CJ deal where it it comes, it conveys to Portland if it's between five and 14. So basically if New Orleans doesn't win the lottery or, you know, advance in the play So they could potentially have two like mid lottery picks to play with. And I think if Detroit knows exactly where one of those picks are, it might be more. And the, and the Bledsoe deal is the thing that would factor in there because his salary and Jeremy Grant's salary pretty much match up exactly. So that's how they would be able to kind of do that and throw in whatever pick they want to do. And so that's kind of a big piece of, you know, if they're able to use that Eric Bledsoe salary to get a Jeremy Grant or, you know, whoever, Miles Turner, like wh- whichever of these guys kind of making around that salary, they're like real impact players that they've been – thought to be going after that's going to make that trade make a lot more sense i think too no i think that's right i think and again that's that's sort of why the moves together just made more sense is because is it, it does you you then have like the, the 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 picks from the cj deal and then the 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 salary the the space in the salary from the other one um the other part of that deal again is is um it kind of seems like i've i've i'll be honest i've never been the biggest proponent of Anthony Simons for the last couple of years of his career. I thought, you know, especially sort of back half of last year showed some, some signs as a, as a scorer, but as an overall player, I've sort of been um, lukewarm, I guess. But um, since that trade, he is since, since, you know, uh, Dame going down for the year and, and CJ getting traded, uh, the, him getting the keys to the offense, he's been pretty. He's been pretty darn good. Um, is is it just I'm now seeing it because it's front and center, or has something like improved or clicked in his game? I think they've seen it behind the scenes. I I mean, I I was kind of on your side, not because of him necessarily, but just because whenever. Let, let, let's just say that uh, the the previous general manager had a tendency to, there, you know, sunk cost fallacies. His, sunk cost fallacies were high. You know, oh, you know, he he. The previous general manager had a had a tendency to just overhype his own draft picks to such an extreme. Like it was to the to the point that like Anthony Simons last year at the deadline was the sticking point, where they they could have had the Aaron Gordon trade that uh, that uh, Denver ended up getting with Orlando and. Anthony Simons was the sticking point. And this was while CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard were both still playing. And so there was a little bit of an eye roll of like, oh yeah, you know, Neil Olshay uh, wouldn't give up his other six foot three guard in order to get a guy who clearly would have been a better, like, so there, there was, I think just from that, there's a little bit of like the fatigue that kind of made some people a little skeptical of the whole Anthony Simon thing coming in, but he's been terrific and he's, and you know, in seeing how he's been playing, I mean, you've heard guys, you know, here like Damian Lillard has been talking about him for three years about how how great he's been and like how much how hard he's worked behind the scenes and how much better he's gotten. And Chauncey actually said said something interesting today. I was at practice earlier today, and he said that it was just kind of he kind of noticed like, and he he admitted he wasn't watching like every single one of Anthony Simons' games back, you know, before he got here, but. That when you're, you know, sometimes you're a young player, sometimes you're in the rotation, sometimes you're out of the rotation, sometimes you're playing 25 minutes in a game, sometimes you're playing eight. That can be kind of hard to, you know, put everything together and figure out a rhythm if you don't have a consistent role. And he's, and I mean, they've gotten a little bit lucky, I guess, if you want to call any of this lucky that uh, Dame has missed most of the season, that suddenly all this, you know, playing time opened up. And especially after these two, those trades that were made, which the Norm Powell and CJ McCollum trade were made in part to clear the runway for Anthony Simons to be the, uh, you know, the long-term, like the, the other guard in the, in the, in the backcourt besides Dane. And so I think you're seeing now kind of what he can do, which I'm kind of seeing it for the first time. Also, there are some people like, I, I think, you know, Dan Morang or, you know, who's a, local podcast guy here he's been like the biggest Anthony Simons proponent like since day one so I got to give him credit on that one but he's opening up a lot of other people's eyes 
No, I think I think that's that, that's right. And and I mean the the interesting thing there, and this is something that I think is it is smart to you know make the uh, clear the way trade, even if you're not sure about the guy. Um, you know, it's 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 it, uh, to sort of you want to know, um, you want to find yeah. out because especially a season like this where you don't have to worry about wins and losses and you're not going to this season isn't going to be judged as a success based on the record and the other thing is is that Simons is a restricted free agent coming up this uh off season I would expect that they'll they won't even let him like go out and get other offers they'll get something done with him probably at the beginning of 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 like on July 1st or close to it they'll probably get something done with him right away but you want to give him that extended you know an extended look to see like, okay, is this guy worth investing in this summer when we, you know, when we're going to have to make that decision? And I think so far the answer has been yes. No. And, and, and to, to, you know, bounce off what, what Chauncey said, it's, it's, you know, the um, <clears throat> sort of the, the expression I've always liked is giving a guy a permission to fail. You know, it's, it's sort of the, the one thing, like, you don't, you don't give a guy, you know, this is, this is never been a problem for Anthony Simons. But if you're trying to turn a guy into a three-point shooter, you don't give him a you don't you don't you don't encourage them to take threes. You allow them to miss threes, and and so to, to, you know if your if your minutes are getting yanked around, then I can. It's not too hard to see how that could, uh, especially for someone whose game is going to be on the more aggressive side in terms of shot selection. I can see how that could be. I mean, I think we've seen a bunch how that can be limiting, and with those kind of those those training wheels off. It's like either the you know the bike stays upright or it falls over, and in this case, um, he's he's pedaling away. Yeah, and I'm, I'm remembering a couple of years ago, uh, he was he had when you know ESPN puts out their real plus minus. I believe at one point he had the worst real play. He was like ranked last out of four hundred and whatever players in the league, and like so he was literally the worst player in the NBA by that metric. Like I'm his second season i believe so like to see like to see it go from there to now we're talking about him getting you know 18 19 20 million dollars a year in free agency it's pretty crazy so for for people who you know the the blazers are not uh, a must watch at this point in the year i think that's fair to say for for kind of a more national audience for people right. who might not be familiar with like like you know what uh what what kind of game has he developed into? What I, I can speak to uh, my my last off season with the my last draft I went through with the Bucks was the year that he was coming into the league and he was he was a very intriguing prospect because he was clearly very good, but since you only had high school tape on him because he's coming out of IMG and it's just like you're conditioned to if a guy's playing at that level, you kind of want him to look like John Morant does now. Against high school, and he and he, he kind of didn't, and so it's like mm, okay, like there was there's obviously talent there, but it didn't like explode off the screen in in in, in quite the quite quite that sort of way. So what's uh, wh- how has he developed into into you know being a you know a dynamic scorer? He's improved a lot as a playmaker, I think. When you get, you know see the responsibilities that they've given him as as far as you know he's starting at point guard now he's not just going out there and scoring he's having to set guys up he's having to you know be more of a passer and I think he's grown into that role pretty well I think he's you know he's always had this, this crazy athleticism but I think he's gotten a lot better at kind of picking his spots to attack the rim and picking his spots to shoot like I think it's just his decision making has gotten a lot better whereas before. You know, he he wasn't like Terry Stotts wasn't really playing him much uh, for you know a variety of reasons, mostly probably because they had Dame and CJ, and he was going to play other guys. But uh, when he in the past, like when he would go out there, he would just be trying to get shots up because this was like the one time that he had to actually get out there, and he wanted to score points, and he wanted to like prove that he, you know, should be out there. But I think his you know now that he kind of has this runway to be more of a playmaker, I think his decision making has gotten a lot better, and he's taking his shot selection for himself, I think has gotten a lot better too. No, it's, it, it, it's also interesting. It's, it, it, it's one of those things that makes you think maybe I just got a bad edit in like the, the, the tape we got of him because, you know, you're, you're like the, as soon as you saw him in like a summer league setting, he was kind of a, you know, a, 
I don't know if quite a nuclear athlete at the NBA level, but certainly a high level NBA athlete. And it's like he won a dunk contest. Yeah, and it, but it, but it's like again, you, you you like someone with that kind of you you would expect them to be just like you know look like uh, look like those old Sports Center commercials where the like the anchor would be playing against a bunch of fourth graders or something like that, right? At a high school level, and that you know again that wasn't always there, but maybe you're you know so so. That was almost surprising when it, to me when he stepped on onto to an NBA court for the first time. But still, pairing that with kind of an increased skill level and obviously um, has developed into a, a uh, more than capable deep shooter as well. That kind of is sort of one of those things that predicates a lot of what he does is his ability to, you know, hit jumpers both off the catch and off the dribble. What's kind of funny is that as the Dame-CJ pairing kind of went along, like, CJ kind of developed a lot of Dame's tendencies, like, as far as some of the shots that he would take. And, like, it almost seems like the same thing is sort of happening with Simons now, where he's kind of, you know, becoming more... Not He's not, obviously not, he's not as good as Dame, but, like, his game is, like, becoming more similar to him in terms of the way that he plays. It's kind of, they're kind of, like, making him into, like, their new CJ, which is going to be interesting to see how that goes going forward. Um, and with, uh, unfortunately, like, if, if, the, if there's one part that probably hasn't come along quite as much, and it's, it's tough to say in this, in this environment, especially with, you know, Nurkic both either hurt and or, um, you know, at least either playing hurt or, or not in the game, like, they're, not a great defensive context, but that's that's something he probably needs to improve on still. And that's a that was always one of the problems with the uh, with the Damon CJ backcourt as well was they were mediocre at best defensively. I, I always kind of thought that you know as a side, I always I always kind of thought that that CJ was maybe a little bit better than given credit for defensively, but um, you know next to Dame, it was it, it that just wasn't enough from keeping that from being a uh, highly flammable backcourt. Yeah, and that's why you're seeing now some of the pieces that Joe Cronin is putting around those guys. A guy like Josh Hart is a multiple position defender, Justice Winslow as well. And they're just, that's the kind of guys that they're, it seems like they're, that's why, you know, Jeremy Grant is somebody that they have been in. Like they want, they want a lot of different guys to do. Like they, I think they want to have a roster. Theoretically, like Robert Covington on paper was a guy that you thought could maybe be that guy. Norm Powell was just sort of undersized, but like they had guys that they tried to put around them, but I think they're trying to be a little bit more deliberate with, if we're going to have this, you know, two small guys in the backcourt and it's, uh, you know, they're not going to be great defensively. We have to put guys around them that make sense. And I think you're starting to see some of that, you know, and, and it'll be interesting to see what happens this summer with Nurkic too, whether they bring him back or bring someone else in at center or whatever the case may be. But, uh, that, but it seems like they're being a little bit more deliberate with like who they put around Dane, uh, Simons and then eventually Dane. Sure. Um, for, so if, if they do move on from, from Nurkic, I, I would have to imagine it would be for a, you know, you mentioned Miles Turner, but for a more traditional rim protector. Just if you're okay, if we're not going to be able to stop anyone at the point of attack, then we, 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 we might as well clean up around the basket at least. Seems like. Uh, seems like almost a necessity because, like you know, as right. much as much as you would like, sort of the the sort of the Bam Adebayo style switch everything. That still just means you're switching. Uh, like there's still a, you know, a, a a poor defender or two getting getting a, a size mismatch now. So is that? I mean, you, you mentioned Miles Turner. Is there anyone else that you you feel like they've kind of had their eyes on in in that sort of mold? Maybe even someone like Jakob Pertl or something like that. I don't, know why, I, actually, I don't know why he's top of mind as a rim protector right now. Considering. He's top of mind in general because the NBA version of that Wordle yeah. game is called that, and so I yeah. just see a bunch of tweets about it, so that's probably why he's, like, top of mind. But Well, that and, and you know, he, we, we've watched John Morant dunk on him 60 times <laughs> <laughs> like, from various angles from last night, but, yeah. Well, I actually, if I had to guess how this is going to go, I actually think they're going to end up re-signing Nurkic. I think that's probably the most likely scenario. And that actually, that was kind of, I mean, I had thought that anyway after they didn't move him at the deadline, because I would think with him being an expiring deal, he would have been, he would have probably made a lot of sense to move if they weren't going to keep him. 
But then also when they shut him down with this plantar fasciitis that they had that he had been trying to play through all year, I have to think, especially like Nurkic is clutch and clutch, they want to get their guys paid. They're not going to go along with like shutting a guy down in a contract year, which makes me wonder if maybe they already have some sort of handshake agreement in place that, you know, this is a general range of like, no, that would never happen. Oh, sorry. Never Uh, happened in the NBA. (laughs) Never happened with that agency. Never happened with. That's just my. I don't have any, yeah. like information that they have that sort of agreement, but that, no, that's that's a reasonable. It's just surprise. how I read that situation. Yeah. Um, the other player I wanted to ask about, since you were talking about these sort of athletic, versatile, multi-positional guys, is I think it's an, an unfortunate turn of their season. Is 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 Nas Little going down? So someone who oh, is yeah. who is starting to emerge a little bit in, in that sort of role. Um, what's the prognosis on him, and where where are their thoughts on? on on what he he's going to bring to them going forward well he actually was just today back at practice for really? the first time since he had his surgery he wasn't doing anything okay but he was in the build i tweeted a picture of it earlier but he was he was in the building he was just kind of around the guys which is the first time that's happened since he had his shoulder surgery i mean that guy has just had such a rough go of it in his nba career because his first year, he just like wasn't really playing much because you know the team was trying to be good and they weren't really going to be playing a nineteen-year-old kid. And then in the bubble that year, he, you know, he during one of their practices, he gets he has like this severe dehydration and like passes out during a practice. And then like a week later, he has a concussion and he basically can't play at all in the bubble. And then last season, going into training camp, he got COVID, and it was, like, before the vaccine was out. So he got, like, a really, really bad case of COVID and lost a bunch of weight, and it took him forever to even have to – to even be able to get, you know, back into the kind of shape he had to be in in order to play. And so that was, like, that season was kind of shot for him, too. But this year, before the shoulder injury, he had really kind of started to put it together as far as, like, like the comp that I heard from him all, for, for him all the time is Gerald Wallace, just in terms of, like – a guy who's just willing to throw his body around all over the place and just dive after loose balls. And I think he'd come around a lot more as a shooter too. I know they do really like him long-term. I think if they can agree on a number, I don't know what that number would be, but I think, you know, he's, this is his third season. So he'll be extension eligible this summer. But when you talk to Chauncey and you talk to Joe Cronin about what they're kind of looking to build, because, you know, when, both when Chauncey took the job and when Cronin, you know, was basically the job was thrown in his lap with all the Neil stuff that went on, they were kind of inherited this roster that wasn't like the roster that either of them would think was ideal. And when you listen to either of those two guys talk about what they value, like they want like defensive minded guys. They want guys who just play hard all the time and have crazy motors. And they, you know, they have that certain style of player that they want. And Nasir Little is very much in that mold. And I think he, uh, he is, from everything I understand, he is somebody that they view as somebody they would like to keep going forward. It's just a matter of do they get something done with him this summer with an extension or do they let him go to restricted free agency next summer? I, I don't know, but I do I do know that they, they view him as a long-term piece. Sure. Um, just you're talking about um, you know injury rehab in Portland and someone being around their teammates for the first time in a while. Um, I, it, you know, it, I know it's not your beat. But you know, Nike's there, so um, they are. Yes, uh, I, 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 so, know, I know where you're going with. This. Okay, so uh, I guess, <laughs> what is there any, any? Is there what's the? Is there any sort of? Uh, have there been Zion sightings about? Uh, you know, about or or is there anything that 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 you can uh, you can pass along on that front? Because that's that is a that's a mysterious situation. I, I think we all agree. Um, even though I, I think. Sorry. Go ahead. I don't know anything. I haven't seen him. I haven't talked to anybody who's seen him. I, you know, I truly have no idea what's going on there any more than anybody else does. And the reason he's out here is because Nike is out here. Like, and he's a Jordan brand guy. So I, I, that's, I think what's going on there. So if he, if he's working out there, it, it, he's probably off in, you know, in Beaverton, which is where the Nike campus is. And that's not somewhere I spend a lot of time, but I, I don't know anything about where that whole situation is, unfortunately. No, I, I mean, I was saying on uh, on Nerdishiro last week that that we we all kind of agreed that of all the of all the weird stuff with him, like 
him working out and, at, and rehabbing at Nike is, is, is almost the least concerning kind of uh, possible bit just because it's, you know, obviously the facilities are, are great. The, um, the, the, the incentives align, but uh, it is just a, a very odd situation that, uh, you know, where uh, a lot of people are, are, are monitoring some of them, maybe even in New York. Um, um, so, you know, again, talking about injury rehab, that, that kind of brings us kind of full circle back around to Dame. Um, yep. you know, I, it, it kind of, it, it seemed like, um, with the, you know, with some of the stuff that went on around the coaching hire, there was maybe some, some buses driven over him at, at, in parts of the, the coaching hire fallout, um, there was there was at least some smoke there about his his level of satisfaction. My perception is that's largely quelled. Am I is is it just the kind of thing that hasn't been talked about, or is or is is he you know back in all the way on on kind of finishing his career in Portland? I think he would very much like to finish his career in Portland, and I would expect that over the summer he's gonna they're gonna like on july 1st they're gonna offer him that two-year 107 million dollar extension and he's gonna sign it that would be my expectation of how it goes i think the stuff this past summer was real like he after they lost that first round series to denver where he had one in game uh, five he had one of the best playoff performances of all time in the, that 55 point game and they still lost to a team that was missing like most like their second and third best players or something. It's like, I think at that point he was thinking about this, like, is this really what I want to be doing? But then I think he, you know, he won the gold medal at the Olympics and he got married last summer. And I think he just kind of cooled off and just was like, you know what? I got it pretty good here. I, and especially now that Neil Olshay is gone, he basically, Dean basically runs the organization. He's going to be like, that was, I mean, not to get too deep into the Neil stuff, but there was something of a power struggle going on there. And you saw that manifest in, you know, Dame coming out during some of those press conferences with Team USA and saying that he wanted to see big changes to the roster. And then Neil basically not doing anything because he was so wedded to the idea of Dame and CJ being the thing that Dame, you know, I those two were not on the same page. And I think that the GM change made it more likely that Dame is going to want to stay here long-term, but look, he was on board. And and this is something that I saw from a lot of people after they, and I realized that a lot of this is just sort of the machine having to like create this discourse and have to, you know, build interest and, you know, whatever, you know, you know what I'm talking about, like what, like whatever, but like around the deadline, I saw the whole, uh, talk of like oh is dame gonna be happy with them trading cj is dame gonna be happy with them just tearing it down like dame was completely on board with everything that they were like i i, I have personally like seen both you know at the practice facility and like on the bench before games him and joe cronin sit and talk for like 30 or 45 minutes at a time i've probably witnessed this is just what i personally witnessed when they're like in public view i've personally witnessed those two talking for probably a total of like three and a half or four hours worth of time just out, you know, on the, on the court at games or at the practice facility or whatever. Like the like game is very much involved in everything that they're trying to do. And I think that this whole, you know, the way that, especially like the way that this season has gone, I think they're all approaching it. Everybody involved. And like you heard Dame kind of admit last week on the dream on green podcast that, he's probably not going to play this year because it doesn't really make a lot of sense for him to. But basically what they're looking at this as is remember two or three years ago when Steph Curry broke his hand and the Warriors basically were like, you know what? Don't even worry about coming back this year. We're going to, and I know he did come back like right before the season shut down, but like they basically told him like, don't even worry. Like we'll be bad this year. You know, you take as much time as you need off to get right. You know, we'll, Get, you know, we'll get, we'll be bad for one year. We'll get a good pick and then we'll try to be good next year. Dame is on board with it. It took him a while to get convinced of it because he doesn't want to have the surgery because he wanted to be able to play through it. But once the season started going sideways from a record standpoint and the ab thing just got to the point where he just like couldn't play through it anymore, he was totally on board with the plan. And I think, I think as far as like his long-term future in happiness in Portland, as of right now, he's, 
he's he's all in and he I think if it ends up being like a multi-year tanking effort I don't think that's something he'd be down for but if it is if Joe Cronin or whoever is the GM by the summer is able to make the roster better over the summer and they're back in the mix and they're back in the playoffs I think at that point Dame's going to be good no, that all makes sense. And that and and that that was sort of the interesting part about some of the moves that were made is that they kind of work either way. They 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 could be the first step in a in a multi-season kind of complete teardown rebuild or as as we've kind of talked about earlier, they could be something that kind of pivots into a retooled roster that maybe is better balanced um on both sides of the floor around 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 Dame. So I, I guess that doesn't that doesn't surprise me, and you know it, it it should be said that there's nothing, you know I think we're seeing you know with with all the discourse around the Lakers, we're we're we're, we're maybe being conditioned that oh the star player having input that thing, I think that's completely appropriate, um, especially if it's if it's happening in a uh, in a sort of a non confrontational uh, sort of more partnership way. So it, and that and it, it kind of sounds like that's the way Joe Cronin operates anyway, um, which you know it could work. We'll see. Well, I don't think there's a move they can make that's going to make them championship contenders. Like, is Dame if Dame the Dame stays in Portland, is he probably going to win a championship here during his career? No, but I also don't. Think, and that's and that's the other thing is that like with the way that kind of the discourse has evolved is. Oh, the, it, he just needs to go somewhere else and get a ring. Okay, well, where's the other place he could go where, like, you're guaranteed to win a title? Like, I just, I don't see the other, like, what is the, what is the situation that, you know, if he were to want out, like, where is he going to go where he goes there and they're immediately, like, a championship favorite? I don't, I don't see it. Right. So you should go somewhere, take $15 million for a year and, and win a title. Is, is That's sort of the, uh, the, the sort of unspoken parenthetical to that. Just right, and this is kind of a, something Dame has actually talked about before. Is like, does anybody think about Gary Payton in a Heat jersey? He was on that '06 title team, so he did get a ring. But does anybody think of when you think about Gary Payton, you think about him in Seattle? You don't think about him in Miami, even though he was on that title team. And something like I, I think the, for Dame, the idea of playing his whole career with one team and having like the jersey retired and the statue and the street named after him and all that, all that kind of stuff. I think he'd rather do that than be, and he's, and this is the other thing that like, I have to keep explaining to, and I'm not, I'm I'm not saying you don't understand this because obviously you and I are, you know, you're as plugged in on this stuff as anybody, but I've I've done a lot of radio hits lately with people in other markets who maybe aren't as close to the situation as I am. And the thing I have to keep explaining to them is that Dame what Dame has said about where he wants what he wants to do and what he you know where he wants to be that has not changed and people just kind of assume that because he's a star in a small market that hasn't won that oh just you know just because of that like he's going to want out at some point because that we're just so conditioned basically in the last 12 years since the decision for any time <laughs> there's a star in a small market like oh no they have to want out they have to like go go to a bigger market they have to go you know go go somewhere else and like and I have Dame, no experience of that whatsoever. <laughs> no, not at all. Not it never happened with that. I mean, I think yeah. I think that Heat is sort of off of Giannis now because he actually yeah. won a championship. I think that's kind of gone now. But it's I will never forget the. So I, I don't believe you were still working for the Bucks at the time because this was this was the season this that is, ended up getting shut down yeah, before COVID. It was you know what? Was, I, yeah, no, it was it was like it was about two or three months after I'd left, and and I. And yeah, there was like they, they were the playing Christmas on Christmas. They were playing on Christmas Day, and like the entire preview show was nothing about the game, and all about various talking heads opining not just on whether Giannis was going to leave, but that he should leave. And this was like right, and it's like you have at this point the reigning MVP and the and playing for the team that has the best record in the, in the league at that point, and that's kind of what the this. And I think with Dame, there's a lot of like. There's there's been a lot of that and like as soon and like I think we're gonna start to see it like I think at some point people are gonna accept that Dave isn't gonna be the guy and it's gonna pivot to like suddenly we're gonna have this conversation about Donovan Mitchell or it's like maybe gonna be the next guy or like maybe Carl Anthony Towns is gonna be the next guy or like but I just keep seeing a whole lot of like you know whoever on whatever show says oh you know Dame should go somewhere else and Dame keeps saying and, or 
or no, my, my favorite one is like, you know, whenever there's a report that's like, oh, rival executives continue to monitor the situation when it comes to data. I mean, it's like, yeah, of course, rival executives are monitoring the situation. <laughs> rival executives do their jobs. It's all like this whole thing is like, they're like, yeah, you know, well, what if Dame comes available? Okay, well, Dame, every single time he's asked about it, says he doesn't want to leave and he's not been a guy that is inconsistent or has lied about stuff in the past. He's been one of kind of the more, you know, consistent and straightforward guys in the league. He says he doesn't want to leave. Well, okay, but what if he does? What if he does? Well, okay, but he doesn't. Well, I'm just saying, what if he, it, it's a lot, it's, a, it's, it's just a lot of that kind of stuff. It, it gets old after a while as somebody who has like, not, 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 not coming, not, I, I'm not, you know, a fan of the team, but it's like, as someone who's around it every day and is covering it and is, is close to it, it just, it just kind of gets old. It's like, like, like in, in the words of a great, you know, NBA uh, figure in the past, like move on, find a new slant. <laughs> if you will. <laughs> it's a, it's a perfectly normal trade rumor. Um, <laughs> so, uh, last thing specifically about the Blazers, and then I want to kind of get your thoughts on the on the 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 broader season and the Western Conference a little bit. Um, sure. You know we've we've mentioned Chauncey Billups a few times, but uh-huh. um, again, I I have to I have to admit that I haven't I don't have a a great feel for his his coaching style or or uh, you know how that's gone so far. I mean I I remember there there were some kind of. Uh, there were some growing pains, um, you know, first time, first time coach, oh, yeah. to be expected. But um, kind of how's that gone? How is he, what kind of coach is he, like, and I'm not talking about good, bad, just like style. What's he about as a coach so far? Defense is his main thing. He, he wants, and I mean, I, you know, I alluded to this a little bit when you we were talking about, like, why they like Josh Hart and that CJ trade or why they like this year little going forward, but. He wants guys that play hard and he wants guys that play defense. And that's just kind of his philosophy. I think it's gone a lot better for him since the trades. Cause I, and I've, I've talked to him about this, you know, both, you know, privately and like at some of these press conferences that he, uh, I think, I think everybody kind of felt going in everybody, except for one person who's no longer with the organization kind of felt going into the season that this roster was not, really didn't really fit very well and it wasn't really fitting to the kind of game that Chauncey wanted to play or like the style he wanted to play. And that was just kind of one of many contributing factors to just how miserable and how stressed out everybody was. So like, remember like there were those games in like late November, early December, like right around the time of the Neil firing where like Chauncey was like calling guys effort out in these press conferences and just, it seemed like everybody would. He seemed like he was totally in over his head. But ever since the season went the way it did, where it was clear that they're not going for the playoffs anymore and they traded away everybody, he seems like he is settling in a lot more and just being able to just sort of try stuff out and throw different lineups out there and give some of these young guys extended run. He keeps talking whenever, you know, we, you know, a lot, a lot of times now, now that there's not really much to talk about on like a day-to-day basis, like a lot of times we go to these practices and, you know, he comes over and talks to us and we just kind of ask him like, you know, big picture coaching philosophy questions. And he keeps talking about how he likes teaching. He likes being like a guy that helps young guys get better. And he, you know, that's why he loves, you know, what Ant has been able to do and what Nasir Little was able to do before the injury. That That's kind of more his style he actually I mean he reminds me of Dame in a lot of ways in the sense of and of like you know he's a very straight shooter guy like he's very thoughtful he's very easy to talk to he you know he he's he's not a, he's not a bullshitter like I I've been very and I all of the caveats of you know the hire and the coaching search and all that stuff going the way that it did and wherever you want to land on that and the person largely responsible for that again is not in the organization anymore but I've been very impressed, like just talking to him day to day. And I think it's kind of too early to make a judgment good or bad when you don't know what the roster is going to be. But I, I think there's reason to believe he's going to end up being a good uh, head coach. No, And just, just hearing you say about that and, and really you saying that he reminds you of Dame kind of puts a point on it. Like that's, that's actually extremely weird. Like he's dropped in it, like it, everything else aside and his two best players, like, kind of play the same position he did, but they do it differently. 
and he wants to do it. That's just all of a sudden, like, and they're well-established veterans and he's a rookie coach. And, and that's just like, that's, that's sort of intrinsically almost, a, a un, I don't want to say untenable, but a, well, a I mean, thought, <laughs> no, I but mean, a, <laughs> we know who, we know who the person to point to there is. And again, yeah. that individual isn't with the organization so. But no, but I just 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 in terms of you know this is always the the you know uh, the 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 move from like you know sort of a uh, a, a worker role to a management role is like right. getting in the spot where oh I do that differently, and it's just like you know Chauncey Billups was an all star level player. He's got two all star level kind of uh, point guard combo guard types player who play completely different than he did, and he wants to change style and do something else and. You know, that's when I say a, that, he reminds me of Dame, I just mean in terms of like their personality. Oh no, absolutely, absolutely. Like, no, but but just just but just just thinking about that, like you know the the like, well, I you know I would have done it this way. Uh, it's right. Kind of, it's, that 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 that's 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 a that's probably a hard transition. And now that that it's like you know you mentioned he likes teaching. Now that there's guys that are a little bit a little bit more malleable, a little less fully formed. That yeah. probably that that probably allows them to almost grow together as opposed to and he he talks about this all the time too he he will say he'll he'll routinely say things in these press conferences he'll say like you know this is a developmental year for me too I'm a rookie coach I still need to get better also no and that's and that's it's it's always an interesting like the rookie coach with with veteran team is always a very interesting dynamic it's like how hey guys. You've been around some good coaches. How am I doing? Uh, always seems like sort of a, a, a weird dynamic. Sometimes it works. Like, I mean, with the, the obvious example being when the Warriors uh, hired Steve Kerr and, like, he had never coached at any level before and they win the title his first year. That's kind of, like, it could be that or it could be, uh, like, I don't know, pick any of these assistants that haven't worked out as head coaches. Like that Bjorkren in Indy last year. That was kind of a veteran team also, and that was a complete disaster. Although, the, I mean, just in terms of the, the why one worked and one didn't is, is Steve Kerr is fairly legendarily kind of high emotional intelligence, high empathy. And, oh, yeah. And I think and Chauncey the, is the same way. Like, yeah. like, he's, like I said earlier, he's very thoughtful. He's very easy to talk to. He's very, like, he seems like he kind of gets where people are coming from if it's not the same place as him. Or, like, he'll make an effort to try to understand where somebody else is coming from. I very much enjoyed talking to him and getting to know him this year. In that way, sure. So let's 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 put a pin in the in the Blazers, and we're going to assume that they're going to uh, succeed in their goals by yes, not not succeeding the rest of the year, um, right? So, like, the Western Conference is is um, has the East has gotten a lot more kind of ink, but the West is especially with the Chris Paul injury is is. It's kind of fascinating, and I have—I don't have a good sense of, of where it's going. Um, you know, you you see a lot of those teams kind of on a nightly basis, both because of who the Blazers are playing, but also sort of league pass time zone. Sure. <laughs> you know what? Uh, how? What? What are you looking for in you know as we head towards the postseason? Who Who do you think is is? Uh, I think Phoenix is still the favorite, but it's kind of discombobulated a little bit more. Well, the thing that I would I would say is a little bit reassuring about Phoenix is that it's a hand, Chris Paul's injury is a hand injury. It's not a like lower leg thing. It's not like a, it, a part of his body that he had to put a lot of weight on. Whereas, like if it was a foot thing or a knee thing, I'd be at his age, I'd be a lot more worried about it. Whereas, like a hand thing, like that's that's pretty straightforward. He has the surgery, it heals up, he'll be fine. And he's also he's Chris Paul. Like they're gonna figure out how to like make that work. So I still feel like the best team in the West is probably Phoenix. They've been the best team in the league the whole year. And I feel like just with a, with Chris Paul's like pedigree and with that same team, like having been together last year too, like I feel like the Suns are probably going to be fine. I've been big on Memphis as a, like before the season started, I was big on like, they were maybe going to be this year's Hawks where they could, you know, surprise people and make the conference finals. I kind of upgraded that now with both with the Phoenix uh, Chris Paul situation and with 
we don't know what's going on still with the Warriors with Draymond because I think the Warriors are not really a threat to make it to the finals if Draymond isn't fully right. And he has, and he has a back injury, which like the back stuff is tricky too. I kind of feel like the window's there for Memphis to be like totally out of nowhere in the finals. Like that just, that would not shock me if that happened. I'm also really interested and we've gotten a few different reports in the last week that both Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. are expected to be cleared to play before the end of the regular season. And I kind of thought, like, last year after they did the Aaron Gordon trade, I thought Denver was probably, was like, they they were the team I liked at that point to win the West, but then obviously Murray got hurt and that wasn't going to happen after that. But if those two guys, if they get those two guys back, they become a lot more interesting to me too. Yeah, no, I mean they. I mean for that for that sort of glorious two week period, they were the best team in the league, and I don't think it was much of a much. I don't. I don't, I don't think it was really particularly close. Once, like, kind of between the the Gordon trade and, and Jamal Murray getting hurt. No, they're both both Memphis and and Denver are interesting in that in basically any series they're going to have you know best player on the floor equity, and that that you know that says a lot about what how how. Morant has has you know both figuratively and literally elevated himself this year. Um, mm-hmm. I I do wonder about Memphis, uh, and this is you know I've I you know I love watching them play. I love what they've done. I do wonder if the fact that that sort of after Morant, it's a f- relatively flat talent base. Even though it's it's good, they don't play any bad players. But in a lot of these matchups, like against Phoenix. Okay, Morant might be the best player on the floor, but Phoenix will have the next how many best players. And I just wonder if, you know, that them being able to go 10, 11, 12 deep of legit NBA guys, um, you know, how much that, that matters and how much they wish that Jaron Jackson was just, you know, 10% better and Desmond Bain was one more year into his career and and Anthony Melton could shoot just a little bit, like all these, and, and Dylan Brooks would shoot just a little less. Oh, and all these, all these sort of little things that, that I, I, you know, I, like, I, I want to get there with Memphis, but I, 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 I can't because of those reasons. It's purely a vibes pick for me. I mean, you know, there, I tweeted this last night after the game when they were, you know, they, the, the whole team was sort of, uh, of, uh, of, of posing with Ja to celebrate his, 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 uh, 50 piece was, uh. Their vibes are immaculate, and so and they've been know, immaculate all season. Yeah, and you know, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of their coach. Yeah, I worked with him for a year in Milwaukee, and am, am not, uh, am not at all surprised that that he is that he is uh, Taylor Jenkins has has turned into a a good organized like coach whose teams like are 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 have a very sort of discernible style, um, mm-hmm. like that's. He's a very he, he's a uh, a thoughtful, meticulous, not super explosive in terms of personality type kind of guy, and I think that's that you know th- that that's probably helped to balance out a young team a little bit. Like you know, not not a guy who's going to flip out and and you know let them sort of refract um, sort of youthful exuberance, kind of be more of a, a, a I don't want to say a dampener, but sort of a a stabilizer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, any, like, are we all just like, are we, are we at the, are you at the point with everyone else where you're just like, you just don't believe, you don't, you, I actually I know what you think about this because you're 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 the, you're the person who most often uh, uh, refers to respecting the Jazz. Um, that just until, <laughs> until until we see it in the postseason, I need to see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, there. Anyone else in the West do you think that is is? Uh, I mean, I guess of uh, Dallas is the other team that that sort of. I mean, Minnesota. Do they have do they have enough to to really like? Assuming they they make it through the the, the play in, do they have enough to challenge anybody? Get the right matchup, maybe. But I will say that I don't think they're going to win a first round series. But if they if they get seven. And Golden State stays in two, and they don't have the full like Draymond fully back, or Draymond is not playing. 
they could make that series a little bit interesting. I would still expect Golden State to win, but that it, it, Golden State without Draymond, I think it would be an interesting. Like I, I, I'd be a lot more interested in that series from a competitive standpoint. Sure. Um, Dallas, any any? Uh, they all season they Luca's awesome. I don't know really what else. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's that that's that that's sort of my read on them that's too. Basically, I don't know. the Dallas like. The, the the report on Dallas is Luca's awesome. Everybody else are just like, eh. but Luca's so good that like maybe they'll he'll be able to win them a series or two by himself. Oh, you know, maybe Jalen Brunson's able to help him in the playoffs this year in a way that he wasn't last year. Is sort of that's that's sort of their their the, either Brunson or, or Spencer Dinwiddie is is like their their outs to having like some sort of someone else who can do something to so that Luca is not right. Like, running on fumes in the fourth quarters of games anymore. Yeah, yeah no, I think that's my... Uh... Well, cool. Um, before, before I get you out of here, anything you want to, uh, anything you want to plug or anything else you want to, uh, you, you want to hit on? Uh, nothing in particular. I'm just, you know, you can read all my stuff at Bleacher Report. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at Hiken. That's about it for right now. Well, I appreciate you. We we bounced around the time of this a couple of times, so I appreciate your, your yeah. flexibility in uh, in terms of, of making this work uh, around my kids' bedtime, um, which is you know <laughs> coaching. Um, <laughs> but I, I appreciate uh, appreciate you coming on and uh, and uh, good chatting with you as always. Yeah, you too. All right, let's let's do it again soon. For sure. All right, talk to you later. <laughs>